Who is he that will harm you if ye be followers of that which is good? It is generally true in this world of common grace where God restrains the wicked that if you do good, it works to your profit and good. You be kind and generous, thoughtful, considerate, that by and large you live a life of peace and stability and friendship. But if you do evil, you're in for a life of trouble. Welcome to Let the Bible Speak. This is Pastor Ian Golliher, and it is a joy to join with you here today again on Let the Bible Speak. And I trust that this program is a real encouragement to you as you seek to live the Christian life and walk with the Lord. There is no greater joy than to have real, living, close communion with the Lord Jesus. We know He lives because He lives within our hearts. And if we don't have heart religion, we don't have true religion. It is a matter of our personal, close walk with God. And so I trust that today that the message of the Lord will encourage your heart. We're going to be speaking on happiness in suffering from First Peter chapter 3. But firstly, just a few words on the matter of prayer. And in my church, I've been preaching a little bit on the whole subject of prayer. And I have to confess that prayer is strange business. Yet all men have an inclination to pray. When in trouble, men cry out to God. Even professed atheists, in their times of trouble, will call out to God. You may even have noted that people who don't profess any interest at all in the gospel will, uh, in times of bereavement, talk about prayers. They will talk about uh, asking God and refer to God. And there are many Jonas who would run from God normally, but when they find themselves in the depths, they have no trouble calling on the name of God. Now, this scenario is set up by the Lord in Luke chapter 11, where a friend visits in the midst of the night, and there's no bread in the house. And the friend goes off to another home, to his friend, and knocks at midnight, seeking bread. Now, we that are the friend of God are pictured here, and we're to go to God in our need. Note in this situation, it is a friend going to a friend to get bread for a friend. And this is really the position of the church at prayer. We as Christians are the friends of God. We are rightly related to the God of heaven through the Lord Jesus, by the gospel. We, in turn, live in our community where men are in need. Not just loaves of bread, but their need is their soul's salvation and the spiritual bread of life. We go to God to ask for them. They are the needy and the prayerless. They have nothing at this late midnight hour, and so they come knocking at our door. We, in turn, beseech God for food, on their behalf. And we, as friends of God, seek bread for our friends. And this is the burden of every gospel-minded soul in the world. In the Lord's Prayer, we are taught to pray for our very needs, our daily bread. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Give us this day our daily bread. 
and then forgive us our trespasses, daily mercy, and then deliver us from evil, that is, deliverance from daily dangers. And this sums up the the broad petitions of the Christian. And so I trust that today that you will take heart and become a man or woman of prayer and go to Luke 11, look at this passage, and may the Lord speak to your heart and bless you. Now we're coming to our message today, First Peter chapter 3, that we are to suffer not as an evildoer, but as a Christian. And that means that no matter how hard and difficult it is, that our conscience is to be clear and our joy is to be full. Stay tuned as we turn to the message from the pulpit of our church. Happy in suffering. Happy in suffering. Not necessarily the kind of suffering when you get your arm cut off or when you're put on the, the persecutor's rack and you are brought nigh to death through the awful mangling of uh, the body by torture and such suffering. But there is another form of suffering that Christians go through. It is sometimes referred to as the stigma of the cross, the stigmata of being a Christian. Suffering as Peter puts it here in this passage, for righteousness' sake. But if you were to look for the happiest Christian in the world, where might you find him? Where would you look? Would it be in a cathedral? Or would it be in the dark dungeon of some monastery? Or in a charismatic church service, where, you know, everybody's just going, waving hands and jumping up and down and doing hooplas, in the service. Well, where do you find the happiest Christian in the Bible? Where would you look? I think the jail at Philippi comes immediately to mind, to Paul and Silas at midnight singing praises and praying in the midst of their ordeal locked up in jail. We also find a number of New Testament believers coming from a public beating, and they were rejoicing counting it all joy that they had been considered worthy to suffer for the Lord's name's sake. Then I note the words of James, chapter 1, verse 2, Count it all joy, my brethren, when ye fall into temptations. And that's not just the devil pulling you down through lust. Uh, that is trials and troubles and difficult difficult things. To someone who is a stranger to Christianity, you might think this is eccentric. What kind of people are these? You bop them on the head, you hammer them down, and they rejoice. That's totally opposite to the thinking of the world. Whoever won the lottery, 649, well, they should rejoice, or won a new car, or got promotion at work. Or perhaps they have found an inheritance that made them rich suddenly. These are the people that should be rejoicing, not those that are despised and who are hated by the world. And that's the reason why throughout history, the church of the Lord Jesus grew strong and healthy in the midst of persecution. And perhaps... This is the reason for the deadness and the dryness that we find ourselves in in the evangelical 
Christian world today because we get it so easy. And it seems that the church and the world is in such friendly terms. And you meet Joe Blow down the street and you tell him, I've just been to church. And he says, that's nice. Until you begin to tell him what you heard in church, that there's judgment upon sin and the wrath of God upon the wicked, and it's time to repent. And of course, when we call the world to repentance, uh, then there is that hostility and friction. There is no ceasefire between the followers of the cross and the enemies of the cross. There can never be a cessation of the war, the spiritual war that we are about. Now, in this section of 1 Peter 3, 13 through 18, we have the Christian's call to suffering for righteousness. In verse 13, you have what is generally true. And then in verse 14, you have what is sometimes true. In verse 13, who is he that will harm you if ye be followers of that which is good? It is generally true in this world of common grace where God restrains the wicked that if you do good, it works to your profit and good. You be kind and generous, thoughtful, considerate, that by and large you live a life of peace and stability and friendship. But if you do evil, you're in for a life of trouble. If you don't understand this, just go down to the hospital ER at midnight on a Friday night, and you will see the poor cases that come out of the pub crawls with their lips and their face busted after the, the fights in the pub or the drug overdoses or those that have come out of car crashes with drunken drivers. And the mayhem that comes upon the ungodly that live a life of evil. It's generally true. If you do good, you live a peaceful life. If you do evil, you're going to be, have all kinds of misery and troubles. Now, in verse 14, we have what is sometimes true, that we suffer for righteousness' sake. Now, I say sometimes because it starts with an if. If ye suffer for righteousness' sake. Now, for righteousness' sake means because you're a Christian, because you're standing up for the Bible, you're standing up for truth, you're standing up for Jesus, and therefore you're called to endure the hostility, the en enmity of men. You follow that which is right and good. Now, what does Peter make of all this? Well, down in verse 17, he says, it is better if the will of God be so, that ye suffer for well-doing. Now, that's strange thinking. I don't think that if you took a poll in a general population that people would think it's better to suffer. They don't think that way. And we're here tonight in a Christian church under the ministry of the Bible, and Peter the Apostle is telling us it's better to suffer for well-doing than for evildoing. How can that be? I want to answer that tonight 
I want to let Peter answer it, actually. I want to see what Peter says. Uh, what happens when you are willing and submit to this stigmata, the stigma of being a Christian. And as I said earlier, we're not talking here about getting your head cut off or your hands cut off. We're not living in an age of that kind of persecution. Maybe if you were in some uh, Middle Eastern Muslim country, uh, you may have to pay a terrible price physically for being a Christian. But we're Thankfully, we, we have liberty. We have freedom to be a Christian. But there's still a stigma. When young people tell their friends at school, when you tell your workmates, when you uh, give out a gospel tract, when you witness for the Lord Jesus, there is this, you're weird. And thereby we are suffering for righteousness' sake or for the gospel's sake. What does Peter make of this? Well, there's a number of things here. Firstly, in verse 14, he says, we're happy. But, and if ye suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are ye. Now, the happiness that the world thinks about and the happiness that Peter's talking about is really two different things. If you'd been to the pub last night, you'd have probably heard a lot of laughter from it. That's the happiness of the world. It's the happiness of the flesh uh, let loose. It's the happiness of man with a free, caring, thoughtless attitude. I just am walking on air. That's the happiness of the world. Peter says, happy are ye, but he really means supremely blessed, supremely honored by the Lord. Indeed, it's the exact same word that you have every time when you have the list of the Beatitudes. Blessed are the meek, blessed are they that mourn, and so on. You are supremely supremely blessed or well off. Now, this morning I talked about uh, those who go for canonization. Well, what about beatification? Beatification is some who have lived this earthly life and then canonized, and then they are beatified and so on. They're greatly elevated in the esteem of men. But Peter says, that living saints, ordinary 5-8 Christians, who bear the stigma, the shame of the cross, are happy, supremely blessed and honored. You have great honor. God honors. And there will be in your soul a witness of that honor. I talked about those who came from that public beating. You read of them in Acts chapter 5. And they came rejoicing that they had been considered worthy of suffering for the Lord's sake. You also are given great grace. In Acts chapter 4.13, it says that great grace was upon them all. Now, it came through a wonderful prayer meeting that they had. And they cried to the Lord, and they brought their case, their persecution, their troubles and trials to the Lord. They pleaded with the Lord, and the Lord blessed them. He poured out His Spirit. Great grace was given. And when you suffer for the Lord, there is a grace dispensed. Strength, spiritual power, an anointing, an unction, an inner spring of blessing that bubbles up in your soul that you enjoy to the full. You have great rewards. 
the Lord Jesus taught in that whole series on the Beatitudes, blessed are the persecuted that suffer for righteousness' sake. Blessed. And he, the Lord went on to talk about those who suffer the loss of houses, lands, family, friends. They are blessed a hundredfold. Great rewards in this life and in the world to come. There are rewards. Now, do you feel rewarded tonight? Sometimes the devil can get you down and beat you up so badly that you feel that you've lost it all. But the Lord says tonight, happy are ye, blessed, supremely well off. That's how the Bible speaks of the Christian that's holding up the cross and bearing shame for the Lord Jesus. You will also enjoy in your Christian life great fellowship. I'm going to go back to Paul and Silas that midnight in the jail when before the earthquake erupted and threw open the doors and set them free, that uh, they were on top of the world. And Paul and Silas had great fellowship. In the history of the Lord's church, persecution always binds Christians together. It always works to drive believers to their knees. And instead of picking little faults in one another and seeing the differences, we now get on our knees and cry to God for help. It works to wonderful fellowship. If you'd met Paul and Silas that night, there was no depression. There was no despair, no tension between them. Now, Paul and Silas had difficulties, but there was no tension in their persecution. And there was no reservation no self-interest. They were not holding back anything. And so this, when I talk about you and me tonight, in the 21st century, seeking to stand up for the Lord Jesus in our community, in our day and hour, this is a time for Christians to rally together, to come together, put away all the petty differences, put away all the things that would in any way harm our fellowship, and just unite, just circle the wagons and rally for the cause of the Lord Jesus. What does that mean in real practical terms? It means come together. Don't be away off watching television or playing sports when Christians are at prayer in the house of God. Let's get together to encourage and strengthen. In the midst of all this, the Lord promises great and wonderful joy. He says that if we confess him before men, he will confess us before our Father in heaven. And he promises this inner joy when we be living witnesses for the Lord Jesus. Let me ask you tonight, are you getting that joy as the Lord promised? Are you receiving on a regular basis the joy of bearing shame for the Lord Jesus in a lost world? in a critical, ungodly world. Do you know what it's like to walk on air because you've just borne shame for Jesus' name? Maybe you go and talk to someone about the Lord, you give them a letter or a tract or a Bible, and it doesn't matter how they receive it. Some may be shocked, surprised. I didn't know you were a Christian. I didn't know that you went to church. I didn't know this meant so much to you. Or they might taboo it and, and, and sort of drive it away and say, well, just go to somebody else. 
But the very fact that you have borne shame for the Lord Jesus, happy, blessed will you be in your very soul. You'll know it. You'll know it. Now, I challenge you. I put you to the test this week. Do it. Go to somebody. Give them the gospel. Speak for the Lord. And next Sunday, please tell me the joy that the Lord gave in your heart. And I guarantee you'll tell me it was worth it. The fear, the sweat that it cost you, was well and many times repaid with the joy that the Lord gives to your heart. Now, if you need literature, we have New Beginnings. We have other little booklets, Pardon for Sin and Assurance of Peace with God. I think we might have a, a couple of Bibles. Not very many, I'm afraid. Oh, we do have John's Gospels. We have lots of those. Uh, from the TB, TBS. They provided us with quite a supply. So if you need some ammunition to carry out this experiment, and if you really want to be happy, blessed, in the deep, spiritual, Christian, biblical happy way, I challenge you. Here it is. That's what Peter says. Then also in verse 15, Peter says, you enjoy the ministry of the Lord when you suffer for righteousness' sake. Verse 15, but sanctify the Lord in your hearts. Sanctify the Lord. What could that mean? Well, it means to make him holy. And if you have a margin the same of mine, it will refer you to the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6, 9, where it talks about, Hallowed be thy name. So in the midst of this opposition or suffering for righteousness' sake, you sanctify the Lord in your heart. You hallow. You esteem him as holy. Now this statement of Peter here, sanctify the Lord in your heart, is actually a quote from the book of Isaiah. If you turn with me to Isaiah chapter 8, verse 11, let's pick up on what the, the, the prophet of the Lord was saying to the people of Israel here. Isaiah 8 and verse 11. Let's just get the, the Old Testament context of this manner of speaking. Sanctify the Lord in your heart. Isaiah 8, verse 11. For the Lord spake thus to me with a strong hand and instructed me that I should not walk in the way of this people. You see the old tension? It's never any different for the, for the believer. The way of the world is not the way of the child of God. There is a distinction. There's a difference. And there's a separation. You're not to walk in the way of the people of this world. Verse 12, say ye not a confederacy. In other words, there can be no compromise, no union, no getting together and saying, well, the war's over now with the world. We can all be one. To all them to whom this people say a confederacy, neither fear ye their fear nor be afraid. Sanctify the Lord of hosts himself and let him be your fear and let him be your dread. You see, there's only one option. It's either the fear of man rules your heart or the fear of the Lord ruling your heart. And if you let go the fear of the Lord immediately, you will succumb to the fear of man. You will make some kind of agreement, some attempt to 
cross the bridge, the differences, and be like the world. And then the promise in verse 14, and he shall be for a sanctuary. This is worship now. And in your life, if you are sanctifying the Lord and worshiping his name, honoring him and giving him all the glory, this is the answer to the worldliness and the pressures of the world that drag down so many professing Christians. This is the cause of compromise in churches. Let's get more like the world. And the more we're like the world, the easier time the church will have and the more successful we will be. And uh, we end up losing that hallowing of God's name. And that's why in many, I cannot say all, but in many contemporary churches, the Lord's name is just lowered down to the level of carnal men. Be not afraid of their terror. First Peter chapter 3, 14. Happy are ye, and be not afraid of their terror. Well, what are we talking about here? What kind of terror are we talking about? Now, if you were under the Spanish Inquisition or some other period of awful persecution against Christians, there would be absolute terror when you have soldiers coming to your home by night, bursting down the door, carrying off those who profess the name of the Lord Jesus and leave the children screaming, Mommy, Daddy, where are you going? And you're off to some dark prison cell and you're isolated and worn down by hunger and famine and by some forms of torture nigh to death. There would be terror. First century Christians endured that as well. What about you and me? Are we terrorized by the world? Are we so afraid of the world that we don't open our mouths? That we're afraid to live right and obey the Lord in every one of his ways. We're to let the fear of the Lord rule our hearts and not the fear of men. And when the fear of the Lord rules your heart, this is your testimony. This is your testimony. We are delivered from the fear of men. They can harm our bodies. They can shame our names. But they cannot destroy our souls. That has to be the confidence and the conduct of the Christian. The fear of God. We as New Testament Christians tonight in Cloverdale are called to fear God more than men. Now, in the workplace and in school, that's, that's easier said than done. But that's real Christianity. And it is a call to be witnesses, even when it costs us. This broadcast comes to you today from the Free Presbyterian Church in Cloverdale, located at 187 Avenue, Surrey, at the corner of 188th Street and 58th Avenue. On our website you can find gospel articles, links to our sermons and our gospel booklet called A New Beginning. There you can find a link to our Sunday services that are broadcast online. 
For all this information, please go to our website at cloverdealfpc.ca. You're warmly invited to attend any of our Sunday services at 10.30am and 6pm to meet with us as we worship God and to hear the preaching of his precious word. We also meet for Bible study and prayer at 7.30pm every Wednesday evening. Our Sunday School for Children and Adult Bible Class meet every Lord's Day from September to June at 9.30am. You can contact us using our office number which is 604-576-1091. Alternatively, you can email me at pastor.cloverdealfpc at gmail.com. Again, for all this information, please go to our website at cloverdealfpc.ca. Our burden is that you will hear and understand the gospel that will lead you to know the Lord Jesus Christ and his great salvation. And this is Pastor Andrew Fitton. Thank you for listening today. And be sure to listen Monday to Friday at 5 a.m. and 5 p.m. and on Sundays at 9.30 a.m. on this station for our full or church service as we worship the Lord through the ministry of his word.